Maloni, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suiswiki. Coming up. Complete livelihoods and agricultural destruction. Cyclone Lola destroys schools and more than 10,000 homes in Vanuatu. Also, COVID leads to record high numbers of HIV cases in PNG. And later on, more than 70 researchers are in Samoa to set up a Pacific Science Academy. Lydia Lewis has more. Cyclone Lola has destroyed schools and homes in Vanuatu, with more than 10,000 households torn apart, damaged or flooded. Four provinces in the north have been hit hardest as humanitarian aid groups and Vanuatu's National Disaster Management staff make initial assessments. The New Zealand, Australian and French Defence Forces are set to help provide aid and assess damage. Aid groups say it could take years for some communities to properly recover. Alicia Foon has more. Vanuatu is in full recovery mode after being thrashed by severe tropical cyclone Lola. It was a Category 5 when it first made landfall in Pentecost Island on Wednesday, but has since been downgraded to a tropical low. Vanuatu Prime Minister Shalo Salwai flew over the worst affected areas on board an Australian army aircraft to survey the initial damage. He's promising to help those most in need. I want to assure the people of Pentecost and all the people of Pembo province and other provinces in the north Malampa, Torba and uh, San Margaret. government will uh, do all its uh, best to assist them in and address uh, all immediate need and as well after uh, to look after uh, reconstruction. Over 10,000 households in four northeast provinces have been impacted. The government is working alongside humanitarian aid groups to provide immediate relief to those most affected. Head of World Vision Vanuatu, Kendra Derso, says so far there have been no reports of injuries or deaths. No, there are currently no reports of um, injuries or loss of life at this time, but a large medical ship called the Helper One, run by Response Global in partnership with the Ministry of Health and the Australian government, uh, was sheltering in Malakula during the storms, has come back to Port Vila to load up with uh, medical personnel and supplies, and will be going to the affected areas as soon as this evening to make sure that any wounded individuals are tended to. While reports from Vanuatu's Natural Disaster Management Office are being finalised, its communications team spoke with RNZ Pacific about the worst damages. In the provinces affected, we have uh, Malampa, Panama, Sanma and Torba. Over 10,000 households affected. Schools in Pentecost Island collapsed like pickup sticks, with roofs blown off, classrooms flooded and torn apart by fallen trees. Many schools on the island had not recovered from twin cyclones in March, let alone Cyclone Harold in 2020, with some still using tarpaulin sheets to cover classrooms. UNICEF Pacific's Child Protection Officer, Rebecca Olu, says it's devastating for children and their families as cyclones are becoming the new normal. Children who are six years old have experienced three to four cyclones that are of a Category 4 to a Category 5 in their lifetime. So you can imagine the kind of trauma, waking up in the morning and seeing damage to the house that you were, you know, you were sleeping in just the day before, but also contaminated water. The kind of trauma that comes with having gone through that experience and then being expected to get back up again. As communications are still out in many provinces, making it hard for Ni Vanuatu seasonal workers in New Zealand to make contact with their loved ones. 
Central Otago wine grower James Dicey says the 30 ni Vanuatu are unable to contact family and wonder if they're needed at home. He says another 20 were due to arrive on Saturday, but he's supportive of any decision they make on whether to come or stay. It's a very fluid situation. We're desperate to have them here on the ground. Um, it's a critical time of year for us getting shoot pinning done uh, on our Pinot Noir and other varieties in Central Otago. Uh, and if they arrive late, then we never really get the chance uh, of making that up time up. So it's stressful for everybody. Uh, our stress is a little bit less important than their stress. Rebecca Olu says the early arrival of Cyclone Lola before the official cyclone season has begun is concerning. Climate change is real and climate change is, is here to stay. And unfortunately, for small island developing states like Vanuatu and like other islands in the Pacific Islands, you know, they are at the forefront of facing uh, the impacts of climate change in terms of contribution. They contribute very little to that. But yes, children are at the forefront and their families to face the impacts of climate change. And unfortunately, one of the ways it will manifest is through the, the increased frequency of cyclones and severity of cyclones. And we definitely see that. Vanuatu, regarded as the nation most under threat from natural disasters in the world, is walking the path of resilience once again after experiencing three cyclones in eight months. Businesses for Health, or B4H, wants Papua New Guinea to realise the country is experiencing an alarming rise in new HIV infections. An NGO that works as a health promoter, B4H involves itself with businesses, helping them to care for their workers facing major health concerns. PNG has had a major problem combating HIV in the past, and the prevailing view was that despite once runway figures, had been brought under control. Now, the B4H Executive Director and Clark tells Don Wiseman that the COVID pandemic, among other factors, has led to record high numbers of new HIV cases. COVID really put the accelerator on the problem. So the decline and the taking one's eye off the HIV ball has been going on since about 2014. And so very little widespread public education and the continuing investment in sexual and reproductive health education, continuing investment in antenatal care, continuing investment in public health communication generally has been happening since about 2014. And when things are going okay, you don't notice those things. But the super acceleration of the TB epidemic, huge levels of urbanization, and then just not continuing to maintain HIV at services and profile as an issue means that the mainstream, that's just women turning up to have a baby, children in school and starting a job, haven't had sexual and reproductive health education with an HIV front end focus point for a very long time. So when things really fall off, really derail like it did with COVID, you see that exponential rate of change over the last two years, which as you saw, 91% increase in new infections from 2020 to 2022. What sort of numbers are we talking about? So we're talking in that last report, that snapshot that anyone can download, we're saying last year there were 6,000 500 new infections, up from 3,400 new infections two years prior to that. We're not getting near, anywhere near how things were in the early 2000s, or are we? 
6,500 is more in any year ever since this epidemic started. So in the early 2000s, when we thought we were having an absolute catastrophic crisis, which we were because back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was no treatment for people here in Papua New Guinea. So the advent of treatment has changed the profile. So what sort of numbers are there overall for people with HIV and PNG? So we're looking now at over 70,000 people currently living with HIV and about 50,000 people of that are actually on ART. This is our goal, right? For everyone to know their status, for everyone to access treatment. Because anyone who accesses treatment and commits to their lifelong treatment becomes non-infectious and cannot pass HIV to an unborn child or to a sexual partner. Your organization historically has focused on TB, but we know that there's Mm -hmm. a very strong link between these two conditions or how it manifests. And you're putting a lot of work into trying to educate people about the need for a catch up. What are you doing? Well, the last quarter of this year, as you just referenced, TB and HIV, we call it TB-HIV co-infection. So a significant percentage of HIV patients untreated will have tuberculosis in our high transmission community. So you can't talk about tuberculosis without talking about HIV. At this end of the year, we want to revive interest in World AIDS Day as a point of conversation to make sure that the need for all young people in every single work place, whether they get a new partner, they're getting married or they're planning a family to make sure that they know their HIV status, because that's just such a simple lifelong health habit to prevent the infection of another person. But Don, I did want to just go back. Historically, we, we this organization started with a focus of HIV, uh, sorry, tuberculosis, but the parent of this organization is actually the Business Coalition Against HIV and AIDS. And we rebadged ourselves as the Businesses for Health in 2017 because no one was interested in HIV anymore and we needed help to focus on TB. So we called ourselves the Businesses for Health because TB is such a huge whole of health issue and it's not just the coalition of one disease only. So our participants raise awareness amongst our business supporters that young people need to know their HIV status, that young people need to know their HIV status if they have a new sexual partner, they're planning a family or they're getting married, that this becomes a part of life so that in PNG, not one baby is born HIV positive. When you go into businesses, what sort of a response do you get from management and from the workers? Most people are incredibly grateful for the education and the inspiration to engage people in wide open conversation about difficult subjects, which is, of course, sex, 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 and more sex. Mm -hmm. And the idea that something like condoms are such an easy, small, affordable, accessible device for preventing the spread of STIs and HIV. If we had a room of 100 people, there are always two or three people who feel very uncomfortable 
but I'm very happy to say no one's ever said, please don't come back. They are very grateful and very receptive. Our meeting last week, we had 82 people from about 45 different businesses in the room. And we covered every aspect of HIV, whether it's heterosexual sex, male to male sex, sex work, people living with HIV, a mother's transmitting HIV to children. And here we, as part of Melanesia, talking about gender and same-sex relationships and male-to-male sex. I was astounded at how engaged and grateful the room was. The establishment of a Pacific Science Academy has been labelled an important step for the region. Auckland University Sir Colin Tukuitonga says up until now, the Pacific has been one of the only regions in the world not to have a science academy. He spoke with Lydia Lewis from Samoa, where more than 70 researchers and officials have met. The International Science Council is a global body that represents uh, scientists and promotes the use of science in decision-making most regions, or in fact all of the regions around the world, have a science academy of some sort. The Pacific Islands is the only region where there is no academy. Essentially, the academy is a opportunity for scientists from various disciplines to come together and to uh, advise governments, advise international organizations, promote science, create pathways for young scientists. Academies, by and large, tend to be more independent than universities. Universities rely on governments. Academies tend to be independent of government and provide independent science-based advice. It's important to say that there is a notion of academies being clubs for old men that recognize each other. In this discussion, we're more likely to focus on what's called a young academy, focusing on support for and opportunities for young Pacific uh, scientists. We are here with some 60-odd people from around the region uh, discussing the merits, the risks, the benefits, and all of that kind of stuff. And who is there that you in particular, you know, meeting with? So Peter Gluckman and various people from the International Science Council are here. The Australian Academy of Sciences people are here. The Royal Society from New Zealand are here. We're being hosted by the National University of Samoa. And then we've invited uh, scientists from around the world, from Papua New Guinea, Solomons, uh, Vanuatu, around the region to discuss the benefits, the purpose of an academy, the risks, the funding, the governance, etc. How will it be funded? Uh, some uh, resources will come from the International Science Council, but longer term, obviously, the academy will have to seek funding from various uh, bodies, philanthropy, membership fees, that kind of thing. And what are your hopes for the next generation? You mentioned that uh, this will be more of a focus on a younger core group who will be involved with this. Why is it so important to get the next generation involved in activities like this? Well, two reasons. One is to show young people that a research in, or a science career is a feasible, interesting and worthwhile uh, career. And then Secondly, to create those pathways to find funding, scholarships to support them 
in the various uh, sciences is not uh, obviously it's not just health uh, it's all sciences social sciences uh, humanities can you tell me a little bit about the main core issues that prompted this? Obviously, you've spoken a little bit about why it's important. Most but most regions or areas around the world have something like this set up and it's needed in the Pacific. Oh, the key one is obviously climate change, climate crisis. We, the Pacific has relied on um, scientists from other parts of the world to get their advice. So that's a critical one, uh, uh, the climate crisis the epidemic of uh, NCDs and the sciences behind that, COVID-19 and outbreaks, child and young people, um, particularly health and well-being, mental health and well-being of young people, you know, lots of issues. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Oh, I think it's a significant step for the region. There are clearly some issues and challenges that need to be worked through, but I think it's potentially an important uh, contribution to what's already existing is potentially, uh, yeah, a very exciting uh, opportunity. That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, tohani.